0: Free to serve God without fear. First Peter five. And if any kids still need those sheets, Ellie has them right up here. First
1: Peter
0: five, verse six. Starting in verse 6. Well, for 107 years, on the third Monday of April, uh, it has been a celebration of accomplishment, ability... The human spirit triumphalism for 107 years on the third Monday in April. And for 106 years, it has gone on without a hitch. Maybe a scratch here, a scratch there, a pulled muscle here or there, an IV needed because of exhaustion here or there. And tomorrow, a half a million people, We'll be watching, and 30,000 people will uh, be participating, and one of our own will be participating too, who's not here today, Allison Unbarger. Tomorrow, of course, is what? It's the Boston Marathon. But again, for 106 years, it was tranquil, it was fine, and then last year, tragedy struck. Two were killed, 264 others were injured because of two homemade bombs at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. You know, the Boston Marathon is a sign of American greatness, really, as a nation. It's a sign of our ability as people to conquer long odds, our ability to um, strive on our own to run. Our ability is to have peace and freedom and tranquility. A celebration on Patriots Day. But things like the Boston bombing, or school shootings, or 9-11, it seems to do something to our nation. It kind of pierces the safety and security that we feel as a nation, and kind of shakes us up. And it kind of makes us go, You know, we are not as secure and safe as we think we are. And we are not as strong and powerful as individuals as we might hope. And tomorrow there will be people fighting for redemption for that tragic day. People running for the hopes of other people that have been lost, for the experiences that they had. And I think that shows something to us because this is something I've heard recently. Who needs the idea of blood and Jesus coming and dying and the gruesomeness and then the grave and death? Who needs the resurrection? Could the resurrection be what we need for tomorrow? For the Boston Marathon? Could the resurrection be something we need for ourselves, for us that might be humbled by life, paralyzed by anxiety, attacked by the enemy? Is the resurrection still a hope for a nation that prides itself in security and safety? Do we still need the resurrection? I think the bombing last year says that we do. And I think as we read this passage today, we'll see how the resurrection is still something that we need to cling to in our age. So let's look together. First Peter, chapter five, verse six. And I'm going to actually read it all the way to the end of the chapter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this word of your scripture would... Not just come in one ear and out the other, but would change us and transform us. That a message that sometimes many of us heard over and over again, the resurrection, would come upon us anew. And make us see the world, how you intended it to be, and how you rescued it. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We well, were just joining us. Uh, we've been going through the book of First Peter. Um, so say hi to First Peter and say bye to First Peter all in one week because this is the last time we'll be in um, First Peter. I'm gonna kind of uh, go behind the curtain. You know, you're gonna see the the guy that pulls the levers of uh, church work. I'll tell you how it is right now. There's something about church work on Easter, okay? And uh, it usually falls in a few things. One is uh, you gotta preach a resurrection passage, right? That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's one. And then two, um, as a preacher, you've got to bring your A-game on Easter, right? Because this, this is a big week. You know, people might be visiting. You've got to bring your A-game on this day. And then you've got to preach speaking to visiting people. You know, some people, this is maybe the first time coming to church in a long time. So you've got to speak to them. So make sure you don't not too confusing or too hard or difficult. And you, you speak a message to them, the visitors, on this morning. Well, I want to speak um, to that. Uh, A few things you say, well, I didn't accomplish number one. It's not a resurrection passage. Um, I would say this to you. I believe that all scriptures, all of this book, from the Old Testament, points forward to Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then afterwards, it points back to Christ's life, death, and resurrection. This book, the Bible, is a message of God's rescuing story to us, the world. And he did that to the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you've been here long enough, you're going to realize that every single message I preach is the resurrection story. (laughs) Because I think it all points to that, the good news. So that's one. And two, uh, my A game, I would hope every... I'm using... uh, Sports analogies. I hope every time I preach um, that I'm called up out of the dugout that I would uh, bring my best stuff, right, you know, that I would bring my best stuff every week. But more than that, I hope that whether it's Easter Sunday or whether it's um, the fourth week in the summer where no one's here, that I would be the same. Whether there's 200 people here or two people, I would be preaching the gospel, And I don't want to be uh, uh, duplicitous or uh, one person one week, another person another week. I hope I would be the same, preaching the same message. And then lastly, I believe the gospel is for everyone. The gospel isn't just for, maybe you're just here for the first week and you haven't been in church for a long time. The gospel isn't just for you. The gospel is also for those of you that have been Christians for 10 plus years, 20 plus years, 30-plus years. We need to hear the gospel, too, anew every week. It is for all of us. So I don't change my message one week to another from one crowd to another because we all need to hear the same message, that Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected out of grace for us. And that is what motivates us in our both our justification and our sanctification. Okay, that was my little uh, caveats, okay? Now I'll get... To first uh, Peter here. Well, here are the closing arguments of Peter. And uh, in closing arguments, what you want to do is you want to review themes. You want to make an emotional closing. You want something to ring in the hearer's ears that when they leave this, they go, Oh, that's what I got from it. And so that is what Peter is trying to do in these last verses in this closing, trying to take these themes and bring it to culmination and let us leave with something and say, okay, this is what I need. And I think it starts first with understanding he is talking to a people that have endured much suffering. These people that were, many of them, taken out of Rome, taken thousands of miles away to northern Turkey, as literal exiles, as sojourners, as immigrants. They have been put in a new place. And this is a young church. And in the midst of being in this new place, they have also been kind of ostracized by the Roman Empire. That they have been seen as people that uh, follow Christ. And because they follow this guy that was crucified by a Roman um, by the Roman government, that to follow a guy like this, uh, can we give these people citizenship? I don't know about that. Will these people be okay to come to our festivals? I don't know. And they sometimes don't even want to come. So the thing is, these are people that are kind of on the outsides. Many are slaves. Many are poor. Many have been persecuted by the government. Many are actually wives in households where husbands have um, been castigating them for following Christ. So many of them have endured suffering. So that being said, a people that have endured suffering, what should you do? How should you close a message to them? Encouragement, right? You should say, hey, it's going to be okay. Buck up, little camper. It's going to be fine. You know what? It's, it's not that bad. But that doesn't seem to be what Peter does. Instead, he continues to tell them, humble yourselves. You're going to have anxieties. And then he brings in a new wrinkle that he hasn't talked before. There's a devil like a roaring lion. Why now do you bring this up? I mean, you bring it up at the end. I mean, you're supposed to give me encouragement. Now you bring up there's a devil like a roaring lion? Come on. But through all of this, through all the suffering and the pain that they're going to still experience, there is a silver lining through these verses. He says there is still hope, there is still something to look forward to. Even through current humbling circumstances, even through anxiety. Even through oppression that is temporary, there is going to be a victory. There is going to be a conquering by Christ. And there has been. And it starts with this. Look with me in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Uh, The tense of this verb, humble, it probably should be translated because uh, it's an aorist. Be humbled or accept being humbled. I.e., it's not a state of mind, but it's a condition, a result of action. You have been humbled. You should accept that you are being humbled. It's what these people are experiencing. And it makes sense for what the people are facing. You have to remember, here are people that have been subjugated by others. They've been subjugated by Rome. They've been subjugated by bosses. Some have been subjugated by husbands. Many of them have been in oppressive, unjust relationships. And here he's saying, I want you to continue to be humbled in those places. Humility can have many different forms. But I think the point of humility he's trying to make here is this. Not to pursue your own rights. Not to um, pursue your own justice. But to live in peace with those who do injustice to you. Doing this knowing, read with me again, therefore under the mighty hand of God... Therefore, under his protection, under his power, he will raise you up in the proper time. You know, you don't have to live very long in the world uh, to know you've been in places of oppression. (laughs) Whether it's... um, You know, the IRS coming after you on April 15th, which we all felt last week, right? That feels like government oppression at times. Or maybe it's um, oppression when it comes to a, a bad boss. Or someone in the workplace that has authority over you. Or maybe it's how you grew up. How your parents treated you. Or someone else that is in authority over you. Some that have... Use their authority in the wrong ways. And, you know, if you've ever been in those kind of situations, uh, it's hard to hold your tongue, isn't it? (laughs) It's hard not to lash back. It's hard not to say, where's my justice? Don't you realize the pain that you put me through? And we have many releases, don't we? You know, some of you are better at th- than others. Some of you are just patient and just let it go. You know, Type B people. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. Some of you have punching bags that you can just wail on when that happens, right? Some of you need lots of counseling. That's the only way I can deal with these kind of situations. You know, I, I think one thing that has been coming up recently is an Eastern religion view of dealing with oppression. That is, you just let it go. You know, it just, it just is there, right and wrong, and uh, it's just all part of the one. I, I bring this up because I think it's important when bringing up the issue of the devil, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. But uh, there is, I'm not a huge fan of debates, uh, but there was a debate a couple years ago uh, between Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor in Seattle, and Deepak Chopra, who some of you guys know, Deepak is is big in Eastern religion. And it was actually a substantive debate um, and discussion on Nightline. You can YouTube it sometime. And um, it was interesting. It was talking about, um, is there a devil? Is there evil in the world? And you have, um, you know, Mark Driscoll defending, yes, there is evil and there is a devil. And Deepak saying there is no devil. And um, evil... And good is all a figment of the consciousness. Okay? Now, I want to say this, because I think this is kind of why I think I hear it a lot. I hear it on theology on tap. I hear it from many discussions I have with people. And the view is this, that all that exists in the world is in one circle. Okay? Good, bad, all of it, it's all the one. Okay? And then the Christian worldview says this, there are actually two. There is the Creator, God, and the creation, the devil, angels, the world, us. The Creator is perfect and right and good. The creation has been tainted. There is evil. There is the fall. The Creator works upon the creation. So there is both good and And evil, there is a standard of way we're supposed to live, the creator. And there is the way that it has become evil, the devil, those that have rebelled against the creator. And then there is this eastern view that says, you know, it's all falling into one circle. To have good, you have to have bad. It's just what is. Okay? There's no sense of justice or anything like that. Evil is just a figment of our consciousness, okay? And so this is kind of the debate um, back and forth. And I want to bring this up in the sense of humbling yourself because of this. Peter is saying, humble yourself under those that do injustice to you. A government that oppresses you, that persecutes you, that puts you in prison, like it did Peter himself, and will even murder and kill you. Under masters and bosses that enslave you, that treat you unjustly, under a husband or a family that might abuse you. And Peter is saying, humble yourself under that. Show love and peace and, and patience. Love your enemies in the midst of that. I am sorry. But that worldview that says it's all of the one, it's a figment of your consciousness. Your abuse that you might have faced growing up. You want to tell them, oh, that's just a figment of your consciousness? That's just how it is. The light and the darkness, they just come together. And it's all going to just come into one together. Versus saying this, there is right and there is wrong. There will be justice one day. The oppression that you have faced, the evil that you have faced in this world, will be made right. In fact, an example of the evil and injustice of this world is what you did to my son, Jesus Christ. There is a picture of the evil that has happened. And God says, I have entered into that evil through putting my son on the cross. And more than that, I have conquered that evil by raising him from the dead, so that you can look to that resurrection and say this one day I too will be exalted in my injustice, and God will bring justice to the evil that I have faced by bosses, by parents, by oppression by the government, that one day God will bring justice to this world. It is oh, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I hope I don't get too mad here, but it's a little bit off the cuff. It is so easy in Western America to say, oh, it's just the one. It's just good and bad. Just take it for what it's worth. When you don't face poverty, when you don't face a government that kills your family, where you're not in a war-torn country, tell people there there is no justice. Go to your yoga class and say it's all the one. Okay, I'm not bashing yoga. You can go to yoga. It's fine. But you know who needs to hear justice? That world. In America, in our comfort, we don't say it, do we? And that's why there's hope in the resurrection. That he has conquered those things. Okay, that was off-cuff. There we go. Back on it. Okay. So, next... And I think this is really a good transition. He goes from humility to anxiety. Um, you know, I, I do think there's two kind of personalities. The one that when you are facing hard times, you're a person that gets angry and says, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to fight against the injustice. So he first speaks to those people. Humble yourself. You're the person that try to do it your own. Make it work for yourself. He speaks to them. Then there's a second person that is not a person that lashes out, that kind of takes it all upon themselves. And those people deal with more the internal processing, the anxiety of what they face, the worry, the oppression. And it makes sense that he goes to speak to those two kind of audiences, those that say, I'm going to do it on my own, humble yourself, and those that put it on to themselves and not lashing out back at others, taking the worry anxiety. And here it makes sense that um, here is a people that faced anxiety because they saw the worst uh, of what could happen from the Roman Empire. Many people imprisoned, some people put to death. So they saw the worst. There was, you know, you could worry in the sense of that. There was anxious feelings on what you could face as Christians in northern Turkey. And many times what Peter was seeing is this church this community becomes paralyzed by this fear and worry. Could their citizenship be taken away? Could they be in the wrong crowd? Could shame come upon them? Could imprisonment and death happen to them? An article in the New York Times um, just a little while ago uh, was titled this, America the Anxious, and it said this, We are the richest nation in the world, but also we're the most anxious nation of the world. Do you know that one-third of Americans in their lifetime will face such anxiety that they need to go to counseling for it or to receive medication for it? One-third of all Americans. And the author says this. He says, the goal is so elusive, meaning the goal of happiness in America, and so hard to define It's impossible to pinpoint when it's even been achieved. And what happens is it becomes a recipe for neurosis. For all the effort Americans are putting into happiness, they are not getting any happier. It is not surprising then that the search itself has become a source of anxiety. This need to get there, feeling that others have arrived and I have not, whether it's seeing them on TV, reading about their lives on Facebook, or whatever it might be, it wells up in us. Why can't I be like them? Even though we don't even know what being like them really means. And it causes worry and anxiety. You know, there's a help, I, read, I read a lot of books on stuff like this. And there's a book I was reading on anxiety and worry. And this was supposed to be a help for me, right? What this book said. This is what the book said. If you are worried and you're anxious, just know this. 85% of the worst case scenarios that you think of up in your head will not come true. That was supposed to be helpful for me. So what about the 15%? Are you saying those things will come true? How do I know when they won't and when they can? That does not help me at all. Um, you know, I can find where my spiritual state is and how anxious I am. And uh, this last couple of weeks has been very busy for me, and uh, I have been under a lot of pressure. And because of that, it wells up anxiety in me. And, uh, you know, I did a wedding for Carl and Kyra on Saturday, and uh, they hand me the packet of information for what I'm supposed to sign. I've never done a wedding in Wisconsin before. So I don't know all the protocol. I can't find the things at the wedding and so I take it home with me. And here it's a few days later, and I'm looking at this stuff. And, you know, I finally find it. And it says the minister is supposed to go to the county where the wedding took place. This is in Shawnee County, not now Gamies so as long as to drop it off to this, you know, the court recorder and uh, you know, to the you know you know, whatever the uh, county court is. And you're supposed to do it three days after, at least three days after. You can't do it longer than that three days after. And it's Wednesday, and the wedding happened on Saturday. And uh, I am freaking out, okay? I am freaking out. I'm like, I... And here's how the line of thinking goes. If you're an anxious person, okay? The line of thinking usually goes like this. um, And it's just, just horrible thinking. It goes from, man... I screwed this up, one, to, man, um, the one thing that they probably wanted me to do is actually get them married. I probably didn't even do that now,
1: <laughs>
0: you know? And, and then it goes through, man, I, I can't seem to do anything right. And, man, I seem to be a failure in life. Do you see how your thinking can go from one point all the way to there? And this is why it is so... It all got taken care of, okay? Carl and Cairo, it's okay. It's been signed, it's been sent. I had to call the person. They were so graceful, like, it's fine, no worries. It happens all the time. You're married, okay? But look, it says, cast all your anxieties on him. And it, the very word is from the book of Luke, the idea of taking a heavy cloak upon you and relieving it and throwing it off of you. And he's saying, cast those worries upon me, upon what I have done. What about the 15% you say? What if I go homeless? What if I'm going to go bankrupt? What if no one wants to be around me? What if my debt will just bring me down to the place where I will never get free? He says, cast it all upon me because he cares for you. Really? He cares for me? Why the resurrection is so powerful? In the places when you are anxious and worried, to know that God himself took the worst case scenario upon himself, and then he defeated it from rising from the dead, doesn't that show that he cares for you, that he loves you, that he is for you? The reason many times we're anxious and we worry is because we don't go back to the reality of what happened on the cross. What we say week in and week out. And why I say we need to hear the gospel week in and week out. Because we don't believe it (laughs) on Wednesday and Thursday. When the check and bills come, we don't want to believe that He cares for us. And that He has taken those things for us. Okay, here we go. He goes, be sober-minded, in verse 8. And Sinclair Ferguson says it so well. Sober-minded. It's so fitting he says it after this because so many of us become drunk with pride and drunk with worry that we can't see clearly, that we become susceptible to the powers of the evil one and to thinking that is contrary to what God has done. So instead of being drunk with pride, drunk with worry, think upon what God has done and do not let the devil in. If you've ever been to Africa on safari, uh, lions do kind of interesting things. They're loungers, you know, they lounge a lot, okay, and they scope a lot. They just check it out. What's going on? It's really interesting to see that lions sit by, you know, herds of zebras or gazelles or whatever it might be, and the zebras and gazelles or whatever they know that the lions are there, but they're just chilling, right? They're just chilling lions, just watching. But then one gazelle, or one zebra, or one water buffalo, or whatever it might be. They kind of say, I'm going to go out on my own, away from the pack. And then the lion, like that, takes them and devours them. What a great word picture for what the devil is. My mom was uh, lamenting to me uh, recently. She works at a church in Madison, and she takes phone calls of people that are in need at the church and counsels them. And one comment she says uh, said to me, and I agree wholeheartedly, that we live in a very lonely world. And people are just lonely. And the truth is that we isolate ourselves through television or computer or internet. And that is the time it's easy to get picked off when we are by ourselves to our own thoughts. And here, this is what Peter says. He says in verse 9, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so this is the end up what we say to each other. We say, no one has ever gone through what I've gone through. No one understands the work stress I have. The struggles that I have in my marriage. What it's like to have a newborn or to have lots of kids Or the kind of money woes that I have. No one understands what I am going through. But the fact is, your brotherhood does know. They have experienced suffering. They know what it's like. And when you isolate yourself and let yourself be taken captive by these thoughts... That is when the power of the devil is the strongest and when it can devour you very, very fast. I don't want to scare any of you, but I think Peter has probably tried to scare. Some of the most put-together people that I've thought, whether it's in ministry or work, I've seen all that they've worked for, all that they've done, taken away in an instant. And Why? Because they thought they were indestructible and they've isolated themselves from others. And slowly the thoughts of the devil come upon them and like a lion, takes them away quickly. Whether it's adultery, whether it's pornography, whether it's um, investment with money. Things go wrong very quickly. So my encouragement to us is this. One, we are a church where we want to know each other. I would hope that we have set up a kind of philosophy and a vision of a church that uh, there is no excuse for not hiding what you're dealing with. <laughs> whether it's going to a men's ministry or to women's ministry, a community group, whether it's the dang fellowship break, you know, that you can cry to someone and say, I feel lonely. I feel alone. I am in pain. Will you pray for me? Will you be with me? Will you help me in understanding my faith and trust in Jesus that will resist the devil and his temptations and stand firm in Christ. So I hope there would be no excuse here at Emmaus Road to be able to talk to others and know, and I talk to many of you You're not alone, okay? Do you know that? The same problems you're dealing with, I hear from someone else. We're dealing with the same kind of things. We can rely on each other and trust each other. And together we can look to the one that has seen victory over the devil. On the cross, and more than that, in the empty tomb. Well, let me land the plane here. And here is how it's landed by Peter. He says this, he says, uh, you know, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is so easy, as we read 1 Peter, to lose sight of who the author of the very book is <laughs> and what he went through. I love this word, he says, and suffered a little while. Here's a guy that for 40 years has suffered greatly. 40 years of imprisonments, of uh, people persecuting him, of facing many trials, and he says, oh, it's just a little while. <laughs> but you see he's trying to put it in the scope of eternity you know this world is only this life is only for a little while but eternity is forever this suffering is nothing but don't you know the victory is a long 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 time and then is also a guy peter Was he full of pride? Did he humble himself very well? No, he didn't, did he? He denied Jesus three times. He told Jesus he's going the wrong way. He said, Jesus, I think you should do your ministry this way. (laughs) And he also was a guy that was full of anxiety at the same time. That's the worst kind of person. A person that both is dealing with pride and dealing with anxiety at the same time. Right? And that was Peter. And you know what? Jesus came back to Peter after Peter had denied him. And he filled him and poured upon him his grace. He said, Peter, even in the midst of your pride, even in the midst of your anxiety, I love you and I have called you. And what have I done for you? And here are the words. I have restored you to your job. I have confirmed your calling. I have strengthened you in ministry. And I have established you to lead my church. And then Peter closes with a doxology. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a crazy word to people that are under oppression in Rome. Right? Because what kind of dominion were they under? The greatest dominion the world had ever seen. The Roman Empire. But here Peter says, no. There is a dominion that will be forever and ever and ever. That came by a Jewish carpenter that died upon the cross by the Roman government, his rule will never end. This last week and tomorrow, we are going to be told so many stories. Stories of people that are running 26 miles. Stories of people trying to redeem and restore the Boston Marathon from the tragic bombing. For example, Sabrina Russo, she's running for her friend that lost her leg. Katie Pratt, she's running to gain peace because she was paralyzed by fear that a bomb could come anywhere, that I could be taken at any moment. She is running, so finally she will have peace and not worry and fear. To Adrian Wright Fitzgerald, Who, as an athletic trainer, treated the wounded after last year's race? To Ed DeVoe, who lost a fellow officer from a shootout after the race by the criminals. People running for this and running for that. What is it? What is it with us as mankind to try to restore what is broken? (laughs) no matter how many miles they run, no matter what kind of race they try to win, they want to restore what is broken. I'm doing it for this. I'm doing it for that. Well, I have news for those running the race tomorrow to restore and to redeem the Boston Marathon. Not one of those runners can bring back one of the victims that died. Not one of those runners can give everlasting peace to Boston. Not one of those runners can restore a broken world. However, there is a perfect man, the God-man, that took the suffering of this world himself through the resurrection, through his defeat, through injustice, through anxiety, and through the evil of this world. And He was given the victor's crown so that we might have life. That that evil, that death, that broken world would be restored. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That victory... Is seen here. And we get to partake in the benefits, in the prizes of the victor by this. When we partake in the body and the blood, we are being nourished spiritually. We are receiving from Christ the victory to ourselves. That it would let us run the race of life this week in the weeks ahead, knowing that he what He has done for us. So when we are humbled by those around us, when we are anxious, we can remember what we have partaken in and what He has done for us. You know, this communion isn't for those that are put together. <laughs> it's not for those that are Presbyterian. It's not for those that... Um, even call this place their church, It's for those that say, I need Jesus. I need Him. And you might be right now, this morning, struggling with sin, struggling with something, and say, I I can't partake because I'm dealing with that. Let this be the time to repent and come to Him. Let this be the time to say, Jesus, I need you. And this can be a time to do that. Well, let's um, prepare together. What we have here is we have gluten-free bread. We have white grape juice on the outside, red wine in the middle. What we do is we come forward, we take, and then we sit back down and then eat all together and drink all together. So if you have children that are not yet taking communion, we'd like to pray for them. And um, so if there's kids in the nursery, we'd like to pray for them too. Well, let us prepare together, shall we? And if you're not ready, it's okay. You can sit. There's some prayers right here you can pray during, during this. Um, I would hope that if you're not ready, that you would not take this. Um, because there are warnings against that. But if you would say, Jesus, I need you. Please come. Together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, whom you sent to save us. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. By your power, he broke free from the prison of the tomb, and at his command the gates of hell were opened. Holy Father, we celebrate now the sacrament of our victorious Savior, asking that you would take these common elements and use them to strengthen us in the grace of the risen Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who along with you and the Holy Spirit are praised and honored both now and forever. Amen. Well, those that are going to help me serve, I'd ask you to come forward and help. And then... um, This side from the front rows can come and this side can go to to this side. Well, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant shed for the remissions of sins of many. Take, drink. pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that it's not just about